On January 23, 2006, a young woman leaves for work in Orlando, Florida. She never arrives. Her car is discovered around one mile from her home. Security footage shows a man walking away, but by dumb, pure luck, he is never identified. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we're bring you the case of Jennifer Kesey. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the shit show that you know and love. Well, if you say to yourself, self, this was not the greatest episode they've ever done, even though we haven't done it yet, you have Arlo to thank because he doesn't know how to hit the save button. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> so this is the second time we're recording this episode. The first one was probably the best episode we've ever done in the history of the world. It would have put us on the map. We would have been knocking Joe Rogan off his throne. Yeah, we would have been million. on Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon after this ep- that episode. But somebody doesn't know how to hit the save button. But it's yeah. okay. Mother Nature had plans other than me saving that episode. So yeah. So if somebody says it's power. Somebody, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think somebody forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I'm saying is, you do ninety five percent of this podcast, and I can't get my shit together, <laughs> and you just can't get your shit together. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new patron, Miss Renata Faria, or Faria. I do apologize. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's enough of the BS. So let's get into it. We are talking about Jennifer. How did we decide to say this? Kessie or Kiss? I think it's Kessie, but I, I, I said it wrong in the intro. Okay, so we'll go with Kessie. All right. But I'm not going to go back and do it again. No, no. So Jennifer Kessie was described as a very energetic and sharp young lady. She had everything going in the right direction in January of 2006. She was 24 years old, living on her own, and was a finance project manager for Central Florida Investments Timeshare Company in Ocoee, Florida. That's now pretty that, good for her age. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge... Huge accomplishment at the ripe old age of 24. She was... At 24, I was still in college. (laughs) I'm pretty sure at 24, I had been working as a teacher for a year. And I suffered through it. But Jennifer, however, was always happy. There was an article that I read that said that they could not find a picture of her that she was not grinning ear to ear from. So she was just a, had a bubbly personality, and from all accounts, she was a great daughter, and her parents doted on her, as well as their two other children, which were her brothers. Jennifer was in love with her new boyfriend, Rob Allen. Her new boyfriend, in love with her new boyfriend. Yes, okay. yes. 
And the two had made a long-distance relationship work even though he lived in Fort Lauderdale and she was living in Orlando. They would see each other every weekend and were very much infatuated with each other. Of course. Yeah, it's young love, baby. Young love. That's what I'm talking about. I remember young love. That shit's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Ain't nothing young about me no more, girls. (laughs) On January 23rd, 2006, Jennifer and Rob had just returned from a weekend getaway in St. Croix. It was a Monday morning when she was returning to work. She was calling her mom as she's headed into the office. Later that day, she calls her dad as well as both of her brothers. According to her boyfriend, Rob, that evening on the 23rd, around 10 p.m., The two spoke on the phone, and they had a disagreement about something going on in the long-distance relationship. But nothing seemed out of the ordinary. It was common for Jennifer to call or text Rob as she was leaving for work, but on the morning of January 24th, he didn't receive any messages or phone calls. That seems ominous. Yeah. You think something happened to her? I think something is going awry. Oh, okay. (laughs) Concerned, Rob made several attempts to contact Jennifer, but his texts were unreturned and the phone calls went straight to voicemail. Now, later that same day around 11 a.m., Jennifer's parents would receive a phone call from Jennifer's office stating that she was a no-show at work and she had missed a very important meeting. And from all... I guess things that I read, they throw that important meeting in there, but it was almost like it was a project meeting that she was in charge of. And she just, when she didn't show, everybody was kind of like, what the heck's going on? So, I mean, mean, definitely like if somebody that is dedicated to their job, always there, if they don't show up, you're going to be very suspicious. What the heck's going on? Yeah, and from what I can gather... no notice at all? Right. That's what I was about to say. From what I can gather, she hardly ever called out, and when she did, she made sure that she called multiple people to let them know. So it was very unlike her to no-call, no-show. So Jennifer's parents received the phone call from the, the office, and Jennifer's mom decided to give her a call. And her name is Joyce Kessie. And she said that when she called Jennifer, it went straight to voicemail, which she said was extremely odd because she had never known Jennifer to set up her voicemail. Jennifer would always answer the phone or call back very quickly if she never answered at all. Now, in an interview with a local CBS news station, Joyce and her father, Joyce and her husband, Jennifer's father, Drew, said that their daughter was incredibly safe. Not only did she carry a pepper spray or mace on her at all times, but she always used the, quote, safe phone calls when she was out to make sure people knew where she was. And she was very vigilant about this, and she would always be on the phone with somebody when walking from her car to her office or to a store or from her car into her apartment. You know, some may say that that's, overly cautious but i would say you're not a woman yeah yeah and unfortunately that's the freaking world we live in man that seems perfectly reasonable to me if i was a woman in orlando florida 
especially a young career woman, you know, trying to establish and make sure that she's doing what she's supposed to. And she's a very attractive young lady too. She, she was definitely attractive. We, we can, we can agree to that. Yes. So as soon as Jennifer's parents realize that something's going on, Jennifer's dad, Drew and her brother decide to head to Jennifer's apartment from Tampa where they lived. And once they arrived, they saw nothing that should raise suspicion or cause alarm. It appeared as if she had gotten ready for work and just headed to the office like any other workday. They would describe her apartment as her makeup was open on her table, her pajamas were on the floor where she normally placed them after she woke up in the morning, and the shower had been used and there was still water in the shower, not standing water, but you could basically be like, hey, you know, somebody just took a shower in here less than an hour ago. Yeah, it's like uh, wet. Yeah. It's wet. It's wet, like water. Like water. Yeah, water is typically what makes things wet. I'm usually. Usually. Now, they further would describe that they did not see anything out of place or any indications of a struggle inside her apartment. Now, her mother noted in the podcast Unconcluded that a particular pair of pumps that Jennifer was excited about was missing from her closet that morning. And all evidence seemed to indicate that she had gotten dressed for work as usual and left her apartment. Now, there was no evidence of a break-in at her apartment slash condo, but one little sliver of information did come to the forefront couple of months later was that the Orlando Police Department never processed her condo as a crime scene. We're just going to let that sit there for a second. You got an attractive 20-something year old blonde-headed woman that just vanishes and we don't process the condo. Seems like some top-notch stuff's going on right there. But, hey, I may just be a podcast host. I may not know what I'm talking about. Would you call yourself a host? I would say that, you know, I'm the host. Well, that's true. I'm just the, I'm, I'm the straight guy. You, you're, <laughs> you're the witty banner. I'm the guy. I'm the, I'm the, the face that sells the place. That's right, they baby. Say. They all I'm come. The they tune in. They all come to see the coach. Yep, and they it is, listen for twenty minutes of your information, and they 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 wait for me to go. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> and it's a shame we're not live on any of our social media right now because Coach is rocking some strange makeup, according to the little kids that he substitute teaches. Listen, I fell. Okay, I have a black eye. It happens. He's it looks the... like I'm wearing mascara. It looks like I'm uh, uh, Tim Curry from the Rocky Horror Picture Show at this point. <laughs> Mr. Coach, why you got on mascara? <laughs> Mr. Coach, why are you wearing makeup? <laughs> I'm not wearing makeup. Shut up, kid. <laughs> it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. I swear. <laughs> Uh, we had a sound. If we had a soundboard, that would have been played over and over. But anyway, no doubt, no uh, doubt. It's not a tumor. 
not a tumor. So after the news reaches her extended family and friends, they decide to gather around her apartment at the corner of the street and holding signs depicting Jennifer's name, her picture, and that she was missing. So within hours, the Orlando Police Department declared Jennifer a missing person, and just two days after she is reported missing, they received a phone call from someone who had seen a photo of Jennifer's car on the news and thought that it looked a lot like the one parked outside their apartment complex. And come to find out, it was Jennifer's black 2004 Chevy Malibu. The kicker in this case, it was parked at another apartment complex one mile away from Jennifer's apartment. Now, upon analyzing the car at police crime lab, just two pieces of physical evidence were recovered. A latent print deemed too minuscule to yield any helpful information and a small amount of DNA. And that is what the police are have released at that time. They also I wonder how small a small amount of DNA is. That's what I don't I didn't understand very that. Cu- I'm very curious to know. Well, I mean now I I know not in 2006, but now you know they're running touch DNA and they can get a whole profile off of just touch DNA. So in 2006, does that mean like a like a minuscule little pin prick of blood or is that like some discarded chewing gum, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it, I, I'm like you. I, you know, what constitutes a small amount? What you know, I know a large amount would be like the shipping container from Dexter, but <laughs> I've never seen Dexter. But the first season's worth watching. Nah. A DVD player of hers remained in the back seat of the car, and because Jennifer's personal effects, like her cell phone her purse and her briefcase have never been located it was surmised by the police that the motive was not robbery but could they i mean all that stuff's missing could they really surmise that it was not robbery it's kind of hard if if everything's missing it's kind of hard i wouldn't be able to say it's not robbery why else would all that shit be missing all that should be missing (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly. It's crazy. It's crazy how they throw these words around and they just don't know what they're talking about. It's like, no, her everything of value in her car is missing, but nah, it wasn't robbery. So with the lack of physical evidence from the car, police became extremely frustrated. But they do catch a break, and where the car was located was a CCTV video camera. So yeah, they, the car's going to be located less than a mile from her apartment, which is very strange, and we'll get into that later. But, yeah, there's CCTV footage and just dumb fucking luck from this guy. You cannot tell me that anyone alive that has committed a crime has gotten luckier than this dude. No, this guy needed to buy a lottery ticket the day that this video was released. So No doubt. Tell him why, brother. All right, I'm into it, man. I'm getting it right now. So <laughs> detectives get the CCTV footage, and they realize that 
a person of interest dropped the car off at noon on the day that Jennifer was reported missing. But any physical description of the suspect is almost entirely obscured by the apartment's gate. The cameras were... Dis- the CCTV footage was not a live feed. It was taking like a picture every second or so and putting them all together into a lot into a video feed. And every step this dude took, he happened to be obscured by the gate. Every step, his face. Basically, if you think, and y'all can look up the uh, the footage. They have it out on YouTube videos and things like oh, it's that. It's everywhere. Yeah. You can see it everywhere. Every step he takes, his his head is right behind a post. You can't see anything. Nothing. Now, the Orlando Police Department did do their due diligence, and they went as far as to contact NASA to see if they could enhance the video footage of the person, but they were unable to determine whether the person was any ethnic background, any distinguishing features, basically. They did come up with a height of five foot three to five foot five. And like Coach said, journalists at the time covering the story reported that the person of interest was, quote, the luckiest person of interest ever. I mean, I... Yeah, he he needed he definitely needed to go buy a lottery ticket because all he had to do if he would have taken one more second to start walking or he started walking one second sooner, we would have had his face dead to rights. But no. Every step he took was obscured by a gate. It's insane to think about that. I don't even think you could purposely time that if you were trying to, like Mythbusters-wise, it would be almost impossible to get that timing down. I I, I agree. I, I mean, it's just dumb fucking luck, man. Yep. You're right, man. Now, Jennifer's parents decided to move into Jennifer's apartment to be closer to the investigation, and soon after moving in, Drew, her father, and Joyce, her mother, learned that there were some construction workers in the building who used to irritate Jennifer and she was uncomfortable about the whole situation. Now, that's not really true about them just learning about it, because we will get into it a little bit later. They kind of knew what was going on, and from all accounts, her complex was switching over from apartments to condominiums. And so I don't know if they were taking and combining like an upstairs and a downstairs into one unit, but basically there was construction going on all the time. And estimates were as high as 200 construction workers on site each day. So there's a lot going on. But six months rock on, and there's no leads in the case. And Detective Joel Wright becomes the new lead investigator. And so he starts doing the old gumshoe work, and he starts interviewing just about anybody he can get his hands on. And his preliminary hypothesis was that Jennifer had gotten ready for work in her apartment, left in her vehicle, and somewhere between her apartment and her office, she was kidnapped. Now, again, that was his preliminary theory. Now, three years would rock on with no good leads or anything, and Detective Wright finally gets to interview a maid at the apartment complex. 
And so he shows her some stills from the CCTV footage, and she states that the man in the footage looks very similar to someone referred to as Chino. Now, according to her, he was named Chino because of how he dressed, his haircut, and how he walked. And that's about all I could find on that. There's not really anything. How do you you walk and have your hair cut like a chino. That's what I don't. I don't know, man. That's what I was about to say. I don't know what that looks like. It doesn't but make sense at all. I could see a chico, but I don't know a chino. Don't be racist. No, no, there was no racism there. <laughs> you could take the O off, and you know, I, I, he could look like a, just a walking chin. I mean, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Chino was interviewed by Detective Wright, and he said to him that Jennifer had actually invited him into her apartment, and he left, and she went to work. Chino took a polygraph and passed. Wait, 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 wait. So she invited him in, and then she left while he was still in there? No, 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 no. It, he leaves. She leaves for work. What? Oh, okay. The way he okay. Say, hey, man, come on in. We'll have some eggs. And then I'm all right. I'm going to work. Peace out. Like, <laughs> what? I don't think so. Now, Detective Wright did find that Chino had a rap sheet. And on said rap sheet was a prison stint for statutory rape. Fun. Yeah. So he was looking pretty good until they decide to give him a polygraph test and he passes it with flying colors. Well, you know what we think about polygraphs. Yeah, the only... This house. The only good thing that can come out of it is what Chino got. Bro, I would never sign up for a fucking polygraph test. Nope. Nope. Ain't happening. It's not... I'm on way too many prescription drugs for that to That's go. One, I don't give a damn how innocent. I don't care if they accuse me of a crime in Utah. I ain't taking a polygraph. Yeah. Like, no. Ain't happening. I don't care how innocent I am or how guilty I am. First, well, I mean, second of all. <laughs> yeah. If you're guilty, you do, you sh- you really don't need to take one. But if no, you're, if I'm guilty, I'm definitely not taking the polygraph. But if you're innocent, you really don't need to take one. So I'm just all I'm saying, bottom line, I'm not taking a polygraph test. No, I agree. A hundred percent agree. Bottom line. Never in my life will I be hooked up to a polygraph test. Ever. Y'all heard it here first, so when it like within the next couple of weeks, he's gonna be like, Man, I gotta take a polygraph for my new job. Nope. <laughs> it's not happening. I don't care if it's for a job. I don't care if it's for a crime. I'm not doing it. Not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. (laughs) Without much evidence to go on, both circumstantial and physical, the investigation turned to those in the inner circle of Jennifer's life. One of the early suspects in her disappearance was her ex-boyfriend, Matt. And it just so happens that on the night of the 23rd, He was drinking at the Blue Martini Bar. And I'll give you one good guess where that bar's located. Orlando? Even closer. Um, I'm not sure what's close to Orlando. No, no, no. It is in Orlando, genius, because the the story takes place in Orlando. (laughs) 
in Kissimmee? No. Walt Disney World? A little north. A little north. Universal? A little, little further north. <laughs> you got me. Okay. I don't know. It was right across the street from Jennifer's apartment complex. That's pretty damn close. Yes, it is. But it is not clear where young Matt traveled to after the bar. But, lucky for Matt, he was with Jennifer's brother, Logan. And What? Yeah. And so, Logan had actually been staying at Jennifer's condo while she was on her little weekend getaway to St. Croix. Now, Logan would tell authorities that Matt was basically nursing a broken heart and that he didn't do anything to hurt his sister. And police interviewed Matt, and they noted that he was very upset about his breakup and even more so about the fact that she had just gone on the trip to St. Croix with her new boyfriend. He admitted that on that night he was inconsolable and that he had been inconsolable for weeks after they split up. Matt did offer to take a polygraph test, but ultimately the police checked out his story and did not ask him to take the test. Now, if you offer to take a polygraph, that, to me, screams you're innocent. If you're like, fuck it, man, let's do it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, not me. That's not, not me, me, but anybody else that volunteers. Hey, buddy, you do you. It's like it does seem to me that that would indicate innocence, but again, I don't give a damn how innocent I am. I ain't doing it. Not gonna do it. I can't help myself, As man. Dana Carvey would say, impersonating George Bush, not gonna do it. <laughs> so after Matt and Logan are interviewed, Logan would tell the press that their entire friend group was put through the ringer by the authorities. Matt would tell Fox News in Orlando that he was interviewed by the police days after the disappearance and even again a few years later in a follow-up interview. Now, getting back to our first recording, you, you mentioned that, that they were put through the ringer, but in this recording you failed to mention that they did not process her apartment. No, I did. You were just not paying attention. I said it at the beginning. Well, the reason why I don't listen to you is because when I listen back... When we release these episodes, it's like a whole new like, oh, I got you, man. podcast to me. It's like you're discovering it. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. following along with the listeners. I see it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. We should talk. Wait, did we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's my bad. No, 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 that's okay, because this is a good place to start with this. I mean, to like bring it up again. Yes, the police did not process her apartment. Now... Depending on what you read, the police state they didn't do it because when they showed up, there was like 13 or 14 people inside the apartment. Her parents state that that is not true, that they were there. When police arrived, it was her dad, Drew, and it was either her, I think it was her older brother, and I don't I don't have his name, that had traveled from Tampa to the sea if she was like sick in the bed, and they were the only two in the apartment. Either way, they could have just basically cordoned off that whole thing and then processed individuals coming out of that apartment and then processed the apartment whether it was two or 14 or how many other ever people were in there i feel like that's a, a huge snafu on the orlando police department now one suspect who drew a lot of attention from 
the authorities was a man named Johnny Campos, and he was a co-worker of Jennifer's. She had complained to her father that Campos, on more than one occasion, was giving her the creeps. Apparently, he had made multiple passes at her and got upset when she would turn him down. Now, according to another co-worker, Campos was upset that she was in a relationship and was even more annoyed to hear that she had gone to St. Croix with her new boyfriend. Now, the suspicion is even ratcheted up a notch because on the day of Jennifer's disappearance, Campos shows up late for work and blames his lateness on an unverified traffic ticket. Now, here's the thing. How can a traffic ticket be unverified if you are the authorities and you are looking into a person as a suspect? I just don't, I, I do not understand that. It's either he got one and that's why he was late or he's lying. And if he's lying, you need to bring him in, question him some more. The fact that it is a unverified traffic ticket set off alarm bells for the web sleuths and the police. But again, how does I don't it understand like the unverified part? Like how is that's how what, can it be unverified? I don't know, man. That's what I'm saying. You are the well, police. You're supposed to find this shit out, man. Well, you would think if you are the authorities, you could be like, hey. He said he got a speeding ticket or a parking ticket or whatever the hell ticket he got, and we can punch it in and see and contact. Where'd you get it at, buddy? What time was it? You know? And if it's unverified, he's lying. I, I don't I, That just confuses me. It confuses the hell out of me, the unverified part. Yes, I agree. But anyway, let's move on. Yes. But according to authorities, they check out Campos, and other than that little goofy what we don't understand, traffic ticket situation, he is cleared as a suspect. Now, there was some news that came out later in the investigation, and it was concerning a team of bloodhounds that the police used right after they located the car, and the bloodhounds hit on a scent and tracked said scent back to the... I guess the the grounds of Jennifer's apartment complex. The way it's written in the article was that they the dogs made it back to some bushes just outside her building. Now, this would give police a lead, but they only interview around 100 workers and Sergeant Barbara Jones of the Orlando Police Department stated, quote, what the bloodhounds found was a scent that was picked up from the car that went back to Jennifer's condominium. What we did with that is we created a three to five mile radius around that track and we've done numerous grid searches in woods, isolated areas where if someone was trying to hide something related to this case, we would be able to find it in those particular areas, end quote. Mm, keep that little thing about them only interviewing a hundred workers kind of in your mind for just a little bit. Because we're going to we're gonna come it's back. It's in there. It's locked in, bro. All right. It's like Jeff, Final Jeopardy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's my final answer. In 2009, a convicted murderer, David Byron Russ, met with Jennifer's father, Drew. And he would tell Drew that he had a possible tip. Now, according to Drew, uh, Byron, David Byron, explains that he was in the yard playing cards with a deck of cards that had different disappeared 
or missing individuals on it. And he re- yeah, that that's I think that is a great thing. Like what they do is they they put missing persons or people you know that have been murdered and unsolved. They put them on a deck of cards and distribute them to prisoners. So when prisoners play cards, they see these, and if they if they know something, they they say something. I think that's a really good thing. I, I'm pretty sure that that has been effective many, many times. Yeah, I would agree. There's nothing to agree about. I'm just telling you. No, it just happened. I, I said I would agree that it's effective, <laughs> jack leg. But yeah, you, you're sitting in the yard and you're playing cards and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit. I know that girl. My buddy Spanky killed this bitch. Yeah. Like, yep. You turn him in. Like, That's about how that goes down. Now I'm serious. I'm seriously that that is. Yeah, I would assume that's exactly how that goes down. Now, according to Drew, and Drew's never released what the information was, and the police are not going to release any information on an active case. But according to Drew, the information was he felt like was credible and relevant to Jennifer's case. He provides that information to the authorities in Orlando, and at the time, the police said they had zero plans to meet with David Byron Russ because the information that he provided, they already knew. So basically, he was not telling them anything that was not in the public at that time. Now, as the case is still ongoing, there's been no public information about any other things that may or may not have happened in the case that we've not discussed. One thing that to point out is Jennifer's credit cards were unused after her disappearance and her cell phone had been turned off. And you may be asking yourself, self, how do they know it's been turned off? Well, according to them, they attempted, these are the investigators, attempted to ping her phone to find her location, but there was no response from the ping. And the only way that that happens is if you take the battery out of the cell phone. Correct. So there are no clues. There are no, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess I'll just stick with clues. No one knows what you're trying to say. Yeah, nobody. There's nothing, there's no information. You know, that big word information kind of escaped me. There's no clues. There's no information for the Cassie family to move forward in the case. Authorities can't move forward, so it becomes a cold case. Now, in December of 2018, the Kessie family filed a lawsuit against the Orlando Police Department to get a hold of the unredacted police files. The family claims that in the decade plus since the investigation began, no real leads have come from the Orlando Police Department. In March of 2019, the family and the police reached an agreement for the Kessies to receive all the records from the case, including any audio recordings and or video recordings. Now, Drew would go on record saying that they just felt like they needed to, quote, do something a little different and that the family is very happy with the outcome of the agreement. Uh, In 2018, the family started a GoFundMe to get financial help to conduct their own investigation. And upon reading the files, they learn that the apartment next door to Jennifer's was found unlocked the day she disappeared. And it is believed that someone had stolen 
the apartment complex's master key. Now, this would lead you to think that someone was spying on Jennifer or at, at the very minimum, basically squatting in the apartment next door. But if you are someone that would like to do harm to an individual, that would be a perfect way for you to observe a routine, watch the comings and goings of your prey, including, obviously, what time Jennifer usually leaves for work and what time she usually gets home from work. In November of 2019, Drew said the family received a break in the case when a woman came forward about something weird she witnessed 13 years ago by Lake Fisher about 1.3 miles away from where Jennifer was last seen. Now, I have a problem with this because, and I'll tell you why I have a problem after I tell you what the quote is from the woman. Quote, the woman said she saw a truck pull up and a person took out an eight-foot-long carpet and dumped it in the lake and hurried up and left. End quote. This case was all over the news. I think Nancy Grace spent weeks on this case. And for this lady to come forward 13 years later seems a little fishy. Now, the new investigative team that the Kessies have put together did go to Lake Fisher and they had search dogs scour the shoreline and trying to find any traces of Jennifer. According to her father, Drew, the dogs did hit on multiple places. Reluctantly, Drew stated that he did reach out to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Quote, they worked their teams, they had four dogs, and they didn't have any hits, end quote. He goes on and says there is a body in that lake, but the Orange County Police Department said there is nothing there. There is something very wrong here. Now, according to the Orange County Sheriff's Department, they stated that this was an ongoing search and they actually dispatched divers who did a grid search of the entire lake and found no evidence pertaining to Jennifer's case or any other. So the family's on that roller coaster of emotions. You know, they get a tip, they think this could be it, and then it's the carpet's just yanked out that, from under them. That has to be so hard for the family. Like, you get a tip doesn't pan out you get a tip doesn't pan out like oh man it's just like not that they ever would let it go or get over it but you just can't it just brings everything to the forefront and then you're let down again it's just it's got to be so heart-wrenching for them yeah and that's why I, I feel like they're emotionally they go through these periods where they feel like that the world's against them and then they get these little tips and they're like just a sliver of hope and then that hope's just yanked away from them. Hope is the worst thing ever if it doesn't pan out. Yep, you're right. Hope is horrible. Many a dream have been wasted. Like, I, I, I told everybody I know, you know, I love a good prank, but... If you're going to prank someone, it has to be mean from the get-go. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Can't build up the meanness. For example, like, don't prank me with, like, a fake lottery ticket. No, 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 like, that's an ass-whipping. Yeah, don't let me get the hope that my troubles are over and then it comes crashing down, you know. 
don't give me a fake lottery ticket. Let me think that I've won $300 million. And all of a sudden, hey, fuck you. You're still poor, you piece of shit. <laughs> like, no. I'll kill somebody over that. Yeah, there's a, there is a bare minimum trip for you going to the ER. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Hope is a dangerous, dangerous thing if it doesn't pan out. Yes, I agree, Coach, 100%. I do love the fact that you are contributing to this podcast. I do my best. Yes, yes, you do. I'm trying to do more than, oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, giving it, I'm giving it the old college try. That a boy, that a boy. That's what I'm asking for. So we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. And it's been stated in just about every article you read, every news program, TV program, YouTube video that you see about Jennifer's case. And that thing is that she was creeped out by the workers or they gave her the creeps or she was unhappy with the workers and they made her feel uncomfortable. And her family didn't know it until she disappeared. And that's not true. A friend of hers would come forward in an interview and state that Jennifer didn't like them doing maintenance in her condo and preferred them to do it when she was gone. They would show up and basically make her very uncomfortable and come in when she was there and do a, according to Jennifer's friend, a half-assed job by just doing random paint touch-ups in one room and then they would leave and they would come back and they would do paint touch-ups in another room instead of multiple workers in multiple rooms. Now, two weeks before Jennifer goes on vacation to St. Croix, the workers come in to do more touch-up work, and Jennifer, like we had stated, was very hypervigilant about being alone. So she's on the phone with her father, Drew, and so Drew tells her, hey, when they get finished, ask them to put some of the paint in an old can, or if you have a plastic dish or a piece of Tupperware, like a Tupperware bowl, ask them to put some paint in there. And then that way you can finish it up and they don't have to bother you again. So she did that. And the workers began to argue with her saying that she could not do that because it would ruin the paint. Well, like I said before, when you couldn't hit save, <laughs> I don't believe, I mean, I can agree with the workers on this because what if she did a really shitty job and what if the next, I mean, they're getting paid for this. They're contracted to do it. She does it herself. She does a terrible job. She moves out. The next people move in and they're like, this paint is fucking terrible. Like it, that could cost that company work. I don't blame those workers for refusing to do that. I don't think that has anything pertaining to the case. I'm just saying, I don't blame them for saying no. No, I understand that point of them, but I, the point I was trying to make was just that, you know, everything you say, they just kind of gloss over the fact that these construction workers made her feel uncomfortable. Well, no, the reason they made her feel uncomfortable is because they kept coming back to her her apartment when she was there, and she was trying to say, look, y'all go in when I'm at work, finish that shit up so I don't have to continuously, basically, you know, she would call someone standing in the doorway while they work, just to make sure that nothing happened to her. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't make her feel uncomfortable. I'm sure, I, I mean, we are two old piece-of-crap dudes. We can't, we can't empathize with a, an attractive young woman. I'm not saying that they didn't make her feel uncomfortable, but 
No, no, no. I, I, I totally see where you're coming from because you're right. They are con- they're contracted and they got to make sure that the work is done. At the same time, I don't blame her for e- either a wanting I, if I was her, I wouldn't a wouldn't want them in my house or apartment by by themselves. They might be sniffing things. Yeah, exactly. But I still wouldn't want to be there alone with them. Yeah. I wouldn't even be on the phone with someone. I would be like, hey, dad, hey, boyfriend, or whatever, please come over. Right, right. I would take every precaution because I know exact, I know how dangerous it is for a young woman in this world. Is that, are you changing your pronouns tonight? Are you, is that what we're talking about? You know how yeah, dangerous? Yeah, I identify as a 22-year-old woman now. Okay. So you're a she, he, I mean a she, her? She, they. Oh, okay. A she, they. Man, you're, you're really <laughs> switching it up. <laughs> now, it did come to light, and I told y'all to hold on to that little sliver of information about how the Orlando Police Department interviewed around 100 construction workers. No, no not me nor anyone listening held on to that information. Well, therefore, I brought it up again. Now, the reason they only interviewed 100 of the I guess estimated 200 construction workers was only a hundred of them that they could find spoke English. They did not interview any construction worker that only spoke Spanish. And it's hard for me to believe that in the Orlando city police department, you do not have one person that can speak fluent Spanish. I just, yeah, that definitely seems kind of strange that they just, Eh, whatever. Yeah, just, hey, just send the ones over that can that can speak English. We don't need to talk to everybody. Yeah, you know that's chalk that up to another what the heck moment for the Orlando Police Department. I like the fact that they did have bloodhounds track some scents from the car to the apartment complex, but we've kind of screwed the pooch a couple of times. So right now you're in the negative, two to one. Keep score. It's a drinking game. Like anybody needs a drinking game listening to us. Now, in November of 2020, Fox News reported that evidence photos obtained by them via the Kessies actually suggest that there was a violent struggle that took place on the front hood of Jennifer's car. And this is a clue that the family and the local Orlando news, Fox News station hoped would yield more leads in the case. Quote, it looked like someone was thrown down on top of the hood, arms spread out, and then dragged back almost like off the hood to the point where you can almost see fingers scribbing down the hood, said Drew Kessie. The photos look suspicious and show what appears to be a hand mark going across the hood, added Mike Toretta. And Mike Toretta is a former federal agent and now private investigator hired by the Kessie family. He goes on to state, quote, We hope that by showing the public these photos, someone will come forward with information they've been holding on to for years, end quote. So not only did we not process her apartment, as the great, illustrious Orlando Police Department saw fit to do, they had photos of what appears to be a struggle on the hood of Jennifer's car that they never 
as far as I know, did not interview anyone in the apartment complex where her car was parked to see if they saw anything. And it can't. It comes out 14 years later that they've had these photos the whole time. Now, Detective Julius Goss of the Orlando Police Department wrote in his initial crime scene notes that, quote, while observing the front of the victim's vehicle, these detectives observed what appeared to have been something being pushed across the head of the vehicle. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think Julius Goss is from America because we don't call it the head of the vehicle just like we don't call it the bonnet. You know, this is at any point you can add your witty banner. Say what? <laughs> What'd you say? I said this is this would be a good point for you, your witty banner. <laughs> I wasn't listening. I know. That's why I gave you shit. Um, part- I was I was looking at my phone. Oh. Upon further examining the uh, vehicle of Jennifer, investigators did uncover a latent print, and they said that it was too degraded or whatever to make a positive identification of blah, 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 in the initial report. But come to find out, they knew all along that that print they found was Jennifer's. They did also find a large boot print near the gas pedal. A boot print boot in the car? In the car. How do you have a boot print in the car? Maybe saw, it was muddy or something? Well, I saw it. She, it looked like she had those carpet um, uh, floor mats. And it looks like someone kind of like drugged the carpet backwards, leaving like kind of an impression of their foot. That's the well, only... Well, we know for a fact that a male drove the car at some point. Right. Well, you suspect the person of interest is a male. Uh, bruh. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, man. Come just on, bro. Hard time. <laughs> Don't do me like that, bro. Bro. Now a new A new witness came forward speaking exclusively, exclusively, man. Take three. Check two. <laughs> a new witness came forward. Three, two, one, go. Speaking exclusively to Fox News of Orlando, claiming that she had seen Jennifer's black Chevy Malibu swerving near the exit to Mosaic at Millennia. And that is the name of her apartment complex. On the morning of January 24th, 2006, when Jennifer disappeared, Quote, the car was moving erratically, said the woman who spoke on condition of anonymity to protect her identity. It looked as though two people were fighting over the steering wheel, she added. Now, let's get into the old car, shall we? I feel like the car is like a red herring because it just doesn't make any sense. It does not fit with anything. Yeah, if you're going to abduct a woman and you're going to take her and do whatever you want with her, putting the car back within a mile of the apartment doesn't make any sense at all. It would make more sense if it was parked in her regular parking space because then it would lead you to believe that she never made it from the apartment to her car. Well, what I my theory is, is the perpetrator 
paid someone to move the car and said person moved it by uh, they put it there by accident they thought that they were at the right place and they weren't and they just left it there you know so are you saying like maybe someone under the influence of some illicit material yeah, i'm saying i'm saying the perpetrator paid a crackhead there we go hey move there this car i'm just trying put to it, put try- it back where it was supposed to be and the crackhead's like i don't know where that is and they <laughs> <laughs> that's how crackheads talk if y'all didn't know place that they didn't <laughs> They just made a mistake. They made a crackhead decision. You know, like, okay, this is good enough. And they walked back and got their crack and moved on. I'm just trying to keep a tally of, you know, last episode we had redneckery. This time we have a crackhead driving a car. Yeah, redneckery. I mean, this is Florida. There's definitely some redneckery going around. Yes, there is. And And that's the only thing that makes sense to me about the car, if, the perpetrator was like, hey, move this car to this apartment complex. And the crackhead didn't know what he was doing and he just moved it. If that's not the case, then there is absolutely, it is absolutely mind boggling why the car was put less than a mile from her apartment. Why would you do that? That's what I don't understand, and that's kind of like I had looked on Web Sleuths, and there's like 29 pages for this case, and a lot of it, about the first, I'd say, eight to ten pages have some really good stuff on there. But after that, it's a lot of just bickering going back and forth. But one of the things they said on there was that it just didn't make any sense unless the person of interest in that video like you said, was paid in something to return the car and they didn't care if they got caught on video camera because by the time the car is found, the person that took it there will be long gone from the area. Yeah. I could see that situation, but some of the people on the Web Sleuths forum said that they would think that and it makes more sense if we go with your theory. They would find an individual to take the car, return it to her her apartment complex, wipe it down, and then leave the area. Now, when they first found the car, uh, the, theory, the prevalent theory was that someone had parked the car there and then rode a bicycle back to her apartment complex because everyone thought it might be one of the construction workers that was the perpetrator. But since we know about the search dog evidence, that you can throw that bicycle theory out the window. But like you said, when you did not remind me to hit save, (laughs) (laughs) was that if you are the perpetrator, why in the hell did you not tell them to take it to the mall or three counties away, go park it at the beach or go park it at the airport? Or go, yeah, drive to fucking Oklahoma. Yeah. Take that son of a bitch and go. Or go park it on some random street in some neighborhood that is kind of downtrodden where it can sit there for three or four days. You, you definitely cannot convince me that whoever did this 
was behind the wheel when they parked that car. No, 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 no. I totally agree with you. I'm telling you, if I'm never going to do something like this, I'm never going to abduct a woman, I'm never going to do anything like that, but if I did, I promise you, I'm not parking the car within a mile of her house. The only thing that I can think of that makes sense is they paid a random dude, random crackhead, random heroin addict or whatever, hey, go park this car at her apartment so it, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, and they just missed the turn or they, whatever. They went to the wrong place and they just parked it. That's the only thing that could possibly make sense. Anything other than that is illogical to me. Yeah, I just don't. That's the other thing. Now, one one theory, well, there's actually two theories. One of them was the head of the maintenance at her complex was a man. The only thing I could find was he, he was referred to as Ben. He was Chino's boss because it sounds like Chino was kind of in charge of getting some workers maybe on the books and off the books. Uh, somebody on the theorems, theorem, Jesus, on the forum stated that Ben could have gotten one of the off the books workers to move the car and wipe it down. And when he gets a phone call from management saying, Hey, we got a missing tenant. He kind of like, Oh shit moment. But knew, Hey, that car's nowhere around. I told Dingling to take it. So-and-so where, or, you know, let's just say Ben asked him to take it across town. Yeah. And then that kind of goes to shit in a handbasket because now the parents are coming. But see, I don't really like that theory either. They said that the reason they were pinning it on Ben was because he was a taller gentleman that always wore boots that were similar to what looked like the boot print in her car. Yeah, but you cannot possibly convict somebody on similar boots no 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 i totally agree that's why i said this was this theory what didn't hold a lot of water but the other theory was that whoever did it and i'm not saying ben did it but whoever did the crime went back to her apartment complex and got one of the off the books construction workers to move the car and knew that the off the books worker was going to be leaving Orlando area so that they would never be found. But again, like you said, it doesn't make sense unless the person is an absolute idiot. Why would you park it a mile away? Now, there are a couple of theories on uh, Web Sleuths that I want to go over, and then we'll give our theories. The user Lisa Stars on Web Sleuth stated that uh, she felt like that Jennifer was grabbed by one of the construction workers. There wasn't much of a struggle from what she could read, so it would, wouldn't surprise her if the perpetrator walked up behind Jennifer and walked her to her car while holding something against her, i.e. a knife or a gun. They also were all around the area at the time, so Jennifer would not be suspicious when she's leaving her house and there's a construction worker outside the door or near the door. But she, like you, wants to know what happened to the 
small amount of DNA, she wants to know where the DNA was found. Was it on the passenger seat, the back seat, the trunk, da-da-da-da-da-da? And she wants to know if they ever held on to it because we have made such huge strides in DNA technology since 2006. She goes on to state that, and this is for you, Coach, that the hairstyle on the luckiest person of interest in America, or maybe the world, had always looked very young to her, like a blowout haircut that was popular back in the time. And she Did says, to think out, no, I didn't say you had one, but the, your favorite all-time reality TV star, Pauly D from Jersey Shore, had a blowout. Yeah, it was definitely, I, I mean, let's close the case. It was Pauly D, man. <laughs> Him and Snooky drove down to Orlando. Yeah, Pauly D was in Orlando. He was at the laundromat and just said, fuck it, let's do this. <laughs> and he walked like a Chino, so that that's why they called him Chino. How do you walk like a Chino? I don't know, man. I'll have to this ask. It makes sense to me. I'll have to ask our mutual Spanish-speaking friend that we worked with when we worked together next time I see him. Yeah, he's a good dude. Maybe we can get him to enlighten us on what a Chino is. He is a very good dude. Yes. he. You know he's like damn near 67 and does not look like it. He looks 40. Yeah. 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 Are you kidding? I Are am, you serious? I am not shitting you, bro. He looks fucking 40. Yeah. He has children that are your age. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that shit. I swear, man. That motherfucker is like 42 at the most. No, that's He says that he attributes his youthful looks to all the tequila and hot items that he eats. Well, I eat hot items, but I don't eat, I don't drink tequila, so. That might be why you fell into I drink the, bourbon. Yeah. 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 Bourbon. 1792 from Heater from Kentucky. That's the bourbon of choice. Oh, that's the best fucking bourbon ever, man. I, I, I promised the the gentleman that sent it to us that I would give my honest opinion of it on our podcast. And let me fucking tell you of all the bourbons I've had, that was one of the fucking best. And to ratchet it up a notch, a buddy of mine had a bottle of 1792 single barrel and it was even smoother. Oh man. Yeah. Jealous. You just, was that when you were in Arkansas and you didn't invite me? No, this was Somerville. Oh, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the other, uh, Lisa Starr's other theory was that Jennifer was grabbed by someone else she didn't seem to be weary of, and the person of interest was told to drop the vehicle off. Um, She says, I'm a truck driver, so I can back a vehicle in with no problems. If you're unfamiliar with the car or how to back it, in you're going to struggle i don't believe the person of interest rode off on a bike after he walked back to the complex i think he was picked up by someone else and this was probably a routine a routine daily thing that's why i believe the person of interest was one of the builders associated with the complex he would have been picked up to be brought home or to a motel where he was staying while working on the apartment complex now there's a couple of things in there with her theory the thing with the bicycle, you know, we've kind of debunked that. And then also the backing of the car. It was rumored that the car was backed into the spot, but I don't believe that's true. I think it later came out that it was actually pulled into the parking spot because they actually get a 
would have gotten a very good look at at the person of interest face because he would turn directly towards the camera. But like you stated, he's the luckiest person on the planet and the fence post is blocking his face. Whoever kidnapped Jennifer, basically they're going on about a four hour window to do whatever they wanted to do. And if they took her car you've got four hours to get that car away from that complex, which makes that car even an odder situation. And so she, Lisa Stars, thinks, like you, Coach, that they were told by the actual person of interest, I mean, not the person of interest, but the actual unsub, to take the car back to her apartment complex. That's the only thing that makes sense. I mean... Why else would the car be anywhere freaking near that place? Well, see, another thing that I want to, and I just thought about this, and we didn't discuss this last night. What I want to know is if he's on that, if he's walking in whichever direction, and he's on that security camera, is there not anything else in the area that would have security cameras that could have picked him up? Apparently not. Because I, I think to that show called on camera where they kind of piece together some of these people that they want to find and they kind of piggyback, you know, which way they could have went and then they start looking at security cameras from other shops and things like that. But yeah, but let's keep in mind, this is the same Orlando Police Department that screwed the pooch on the Casey Anthony. I, again, I did not know that Casey Anthony was in Orlando. Tight, Mom. Can't help it. Nancy, Nancy Grace, top mom, top mom. But anyway, all right, so uh, let's get into our theories. I mean, seriously, though, like, how just dumb luck did that guy, whomever it was, whether it was the perpetrator, whether it was somebody that was paid to do it, whether it was anyone, how just dumb luck is it that Every time that camera took a picture, his face was obstructed. It's It reminds me of like a slapstick comedy movie or like a Monty Python movie where you're trying to see something and every time you look, they're like, their face is obstructed. That's how, it, that's how just crazy that scenario is. It just it, doesn't seem rational. No, it doesn't. It's just, it's just crazy. Because, I mean, honestly, if he would have taken... One second sooner or one second later. Or even a half a second. Would have been seen by millions. Yeah. Now, there was, before we get into ours, there was a user on WebSleuth named Georgia8, and they stated that since the perpetrator was of smaller stature, they felt like that that could be a late teenager that was told to take it that way, and that would give them that odd walk. But again, we need to know what a chino, how a chino walks. Is it kind of like a cheetah? Is it like a, a bulldog that yeah, I, I, ran wilder? I, I can't. I just can't subscribe to this nickname, Chino. For, <laughs> how do you? How do you walk like a chino? That just doesn't make sense to me. Oh, I agree with you. I don't know, but we're going to find out. We're on the case. All right. Well, we're going to figure it out. Yes. We will be back with you to tell you what a chino is, hopefully. Next week, we'll be on the case of chino. We are going to determine what a chino is. (laughs) 
Are they a subspecies of the fuck boy? That's what we've got to find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So getting back to the thing with uh, Georgia H, she did say that along with the you know the younger, smaller person of interest that you can't tell anything about was that she felt like that it was not a construction worker that took Jennifer because if you think about all of the evidence, there are many empty units and someone had stolen the master key to get into any unit. So they, if they were a construction worker, they could have done whatever they wanted to do to Jennifer and then they could have disposed of her you know, they would never find her, in other words, without getting yeah. very gory in detail. I mean, the sad fact remains that she's never been found. No. she's She's been missing. Something very, very bad happened to her. Yes, extremely bad. And she, I, did, she did not disappear and create a new life the way that I feel that Maura Murray did. Still holding on to that pipe dream. <laughs> Say what? I said still holding on to that pipe dream. Go ahead, tell Mara that I we're listening. I will hold on to that pipe dream forever. Go ahead, Mara tell Mara Murray is alive. She is well. She's raising her daughter or son somewhere in Montreal, and she's good. But tell her. Go Jennifer, ahead and tell her. Go ahead and tell Mara. Contact you. Mara, if you are alive, please contact mysteriousbrews at gmail.com. And we will keep your secret forever. <laughs> All Please, right. just let us know. Anyway, Jennifer, unfortunately, had something very bad happen to her. Yes. And she needs justice. I agree. And that family needs, and I hate to use the word closure, but they need some, they need to, to I guess for a better they need to be able to go visit a memorial. They, they definitely closure is the right word. They definitely need closure. They need to know what happened. They they need to know what happened to their daughter, and it was something unfortunately very very terrible. Yes, I'm with you. I, I'm afraid that this was, if it comes to light, whatever happened to her, I'm afraid that this will be a gruesome gruesome detail. I, I agree, 100%. All right, so we get into our theories. Uh, I think we kind of both have similar theories. Um, my theory is that she was taken to her car under duress by some kind of weapon, a knife, a gun. I feel like that she was told to drive to a location, and that is where they did whatever they did. And then, like you, I feel like that they paid some idiot to take the car back to her car, her apartment complex, and the moron screwed it up and got close and left it somewhere else, but got lucky in the fact that they were never seen on security camera. I would be in 100% agreement. That's a first, ladies and gentlemen. Write this down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I honestly, I don't think the perpetrator himself would take that car. No, and like where, where like, he did, like you had stated in the previous episode that no one will ever get to hear. Just being 
the nervous Nancys that we are, you would be afraid if you were the perpetrator that you would like sneeze or, and they would have DNA or something like that in the car and, or you would bump into something and leave like an ear print or, you know, they, some distinguishing mark in the car and forget to wipe down one thing and then you would constantly be want, worrying and if you took the time to actually clean the car as best as you could and then you paid someone to take the car that had no, you know, I don't know if they would actually, I don't think the person that drove the car had anything to do with the actual crime. I don't think so either, man. And then, I mean, honestly, that would just be so foolish. Yeah, I think that's the only it would way. Be monumentally stupid. I think that's the only way you could be confident that you are not going to be linked to that car if you are the perpetrator. Yeah. Well, but rec- the person that moved the car got so fucking lucky. And if that person is listening to any podcast about this case, you, sir, need to go buy lottery tickets. No doubt. <laughs> All right, so let's get into recommendations. I'm going to recommend that you become a patron because we've got some big things happening for our upper tiers for our... Yeah, we're actually going to start recording stuff for our patrons. <laughs> Not just early episodes. We're actually going to start... even uncensored, unedited. <laughs> That's right. You get the full Monty. <laughs> You're going to... You might even get to see me do my intro 19 times. You might. <laughs> as painful as that will be to listen to, you might. <laughs> I'm going to burst a lot of people's bubbles about how professional and great of a linguist you are if I start releasing these unedited. You're going to get to hear me say fuck a whole lot more. Yes, and other colorful language. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are looking at our $10 tier and above having some exclusive cases, like some high profile cases. We've had some recommendations. We put out like a little poll to them and they're looking at a deep dive into the missing 411. Um, we've Which had, I love. That is right up my fucking alley, man. And we've had a recommendation for us to tackle the Black Dahlia case. I'm still on the fence about that. I, just, I don't know. He died. Yeah, that yeah. soft case. He, I want to. One of the only reasons we've not done that case yet is just I don't feel like we can do it justice because they've it's been done so many times and it's been done so well so many times. Oh, we we can't do any case justice. <laughs> That's not why they listen. They listen for the banter, the witty they banter listen for the redneckery and the crack crack addictedery. <laughs> <laughs> But that's my recommendation. If you're not a patron, join. We have multiple tiers for multiple finances. Uh, you can receive basically, I believe it's two, yeah, two months free if you pay for the entire year up front at any tier. So, yeah, if you're not a patron, become a patron. Yeah, do that. And leave us some five-star reviews while you're at it. Uh, Therefore, I can quit my job. Yeah. So, Coach, what's your recommendation uh, my recommendation is The Mystery of the Blind Frog Ranch. It's on Discovery. Season 2 is on Discovery right now. If you want to watch the first season, it's on Discovery+. Plus. It is freaking crazy. If you are into the Skinwalker Ranch and into the Curse of Oak Island, it is the best of both worlds. It's like they had an illegitimate child and they named it the Mystery at Blind Frog Ranch. 
I am obsessed with this show right now. Well, there's some like some good characters that you know the old guy that's financing everything. He's a he's a great guy, and then the head of security has the most phenomenal hair outside of Sam Elliott in Roadhouse. Absolutely, <laughs> it is. I mean, I could not recommend that recommend the show more. It is amazing. Yeah, it is very good. Best. There's some uh some crazy happenings about to start up at the old Blind Frog Ranch. I caught up on the episodes just before we recorded tonight. And so it's about to start getting good, girls. Man, they find Spanish gold. They find Mormon gold. They find a box that's tied up in the in the middle of an underwater cave. They, it's just, it's it's insane. It's a good show, man. Watch it. I recommend that too. I second your recommendation. So those seconds well, I have appreciate it. Appreciate that, sir. Yes, thank you, sir. Do you have anything else there, Slappy? Uh, you know I don't. All right, ladies and gentlemen, y'all heard it here first. Deuces. Deuces. <laughs>